America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And uh, another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A uh, great day when uh, there may be a government shutdown looming. But there are also a number of interesting movies, one of them with an amazing cast, a cast including Rafe Fiennes and Benedict Cumberbatch and Ben Kingsley and more, all from director Wes Anderson. And the best thing about this movie, well, not the best thing, but uh, it's a, a remarkably short movie that makes its points with uh, less of the wasted time that you often find in films. Uh, we'll also be reviewing a comedy, a back-to-school comedy, uh, about a struggling, hard-drinking career woman who, under a combination of circumstances, forced to go back to her alma mater. It is called The uh, Re-Education of Molly Singer and stars Britt Robertson. We will review that as well. We'll also be speaking to the former Vice President of the United States, the Honorable Mike Pence, who uh, remained honorable, though uh, got less time in the debate this uh, last week. He will be talking about the government shutdown and what to do about it and what generally uh, is needed to revive the nation's economy from the doldrums that many people perceive all around us. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, first up, uh, before we get to any of that, uh, there is a Call of the Week classic. The Call of the Week. I get so overwhelmed. But, like, I don't understand. It's educational. Like, everyone goes to the bathroom on campus every day, unless... They have some great powers. It's informative. Your talk show creates a hostile environment. Feel the love. I love Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro, please keep it up. Hear the hate. And you're the devil. You're you're the big Hitler. Every Friday exclusively on the Michael Medved Show. And the winner is and the winner is Mark in Cleveland, who called up in October of 2009. And he was very upset that a certain talk show host had called for the death penalty for graffiti artists. Uh, was certain talk show host me? Well, I was joking, but Mark had a different idea. Listen. Yeah, Michael, I know this isn't the topic, but did you really say a few minutes ago that you were in the favor of the death penalty for uh, graffiti art? I, I did say it, and I was teasing. What's the matter with you people? I was joking! Don't you know a joke when you hear one? <laughs> life imprisonment, maybe. And I'll tell you, I'm not kidding about life imprisonment. Three strikes, you're out. I believe in three strikes, you're out. If somebody is so crazy, they're so destructive, and then they know that they have a chance of life imprisonment, and then they commit the same crime three different Michael, times. With all respect, what the hell is wrong with you? That's inhuman. No, it's not. If somebody knows, and it's well announced that there's three strikes, you're out. Three and it's for pickpocketing, it's for graffiti art, it's for unit graffiti art. It's no, for graffiti, graffiti vandalism. It's three strikes, you're out is evil. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Strike three, you're out. I mean, it's fascistic. What's a lie from the pit of hell? 
Three strikes are out. It does nothing to solve crime. It, it's just something that, that far right brainers like, like you do to uh, make yourself feel that you're doing something about crime when you're not doing anything about the, the uh, underlying causes, which is the only way that you're going to really stop crime. Okay, Mark, are you aware? What's happened to the crime rate recently with the economic downturn? I don't know. It's gone down. And the only thing that has actually worked on crime is better policing and longer sentences and putting more people in jail. What the hell is wrong with you? That's inhuman. Three strikes are out is evil. It's a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> It, the whole idea of three strikes, you're out. My first exposure to it uh, came from uh, George Bernard Shaw. And Shaw is not a conservative, never was a conservative. He was an admirer of Lenin and Mussolini. And he was. I mean, they were uh, surprised, in fact, to find uh, there was a portrait of Stalin above his desk at one point. He was a Fabian socialist in Britain. But he wrote on this issue of crime extremely well. And one of the things he wrote about was that in most cases, and he's talking about 100 years ago, a little bit more than 100 years ago, that prison did very little to reform people. It was very unlikely that uh, people got reformed by time in prison. So he took the point of view that uh, for crimes that were uh, uh, not fatal crimes, that uh, basically the first two offenses, uh, you got a very stern warning. But the third offense of any particular crime where you were so addicted to that crime, whether it was rape or whether it was assault, uh, or whether it was robbery, whether it was breaking into department stores, if uh, you were arrested and tried and found guilty three times, that's it. You're <laughs> now. Do, am I endorsing that as a criminal reform proceeding today? No, I'm not. But I do think that the idea behind Three Strikes You're Out, which is taking those chronic offenders, those people who offend again and again and again and again and again, because the great majority of our violent crimes, our most destructive crimes, are not people who are doing wrong for the first time. They're people who have been deeply involved in criminality and followed a pattern. And that's why one of the great successes of the crime reforms that uh, took place and took off across the country in the 1980s and 1990s, one of the great successes was longer terms for career criminals, for people who simply couldn't help themselves. And uh, you may not make them better people by giving them those long terms, though it would be good if you did. It would be good if there were more programs to actually rehabilitate people while they were imprisoned. But it certainly means that when somebody is in prison, they are not the same level of threat to rape you or to assault you or to murder you or to destroy your property. Um, meanwhile, in terms of improving chances, uh, there is a statement from the former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, this week. Uh, he said straight out that the Republicans would lose the presidential election 
And uh, he also spoke out against a government shutdown. And uh, the, the the two instances are very much related because when you ask people how many people believe that a government shutdown is actually going to help the country, uh, it's an incredibly small number of Americans who believe that. So uh, how does that relate to the Republicans losing the election? Because one of the things the American people don't want is more of the same. And uh, by putting up the same candidate that the Republicans have put up uh, in 2016 and 2020, uh, putting up that same candidate in 2024, his name is Trump, he's never gotten a majority of the popular vote. He's always lost the popular vote. And uh, that's part of the argument by Speaker Ryan. We're going to be speaking to him, and we're going to be hearing from him, and then we're going to be speaking directly to Mike Pence live, coming up on The Medved Show. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The Michael Medved Show. What the hell is wrong with you? 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Sign up today for the free Medved newsletter with new columns, commentaries, and movie reviews. Go to michaelmedved.com. Michael Medved show whatever kind of Republican you are wherever you are on the Republican spectrum whether you're somebody who is uh, enthusiastic about Nikki Haley who was just called a bird brain uh, by President Trump he was not happy with her debate performance uh, whether you're a supporter of Nikki Haley whether you're a supporter of Mike Pence who is going to be joining us a little bit later in this show uh, whether you're a supporter of President Trump and a Trump loyalist, the the biggest achievement, positive achievement of the Trump administration was the tax cut that he got through, which was not just a tax cut for billionaires and millionaires of the super rich. It was a, a tax cut that gave American business an edge in competing with other countries that made America much more competitive rather than burdening our businesses with uh, additional tax burdens and uh, that, that basically did help the broad middle class. That tax cut was the work primarily of Speaker Paul Ryan who got it through the House of Representatives with a uh, small Republican majority, and then it got through the Senate, and then it was signed by President Trump. But Paul Ryan, who had been previously chair of the House Ways and Means Committee and a specialist on taxation and has, was subjected to all kinds of left-wing attacks like uh, political ads that showed a version of Paul Ryan pushing grandma in a wheelchair off a cliff, well, it wasn't that. It didn't do any of that. It, it improved the country and created the statistics that we've all heard about, which are the lowest unemployment rates in history for women, for blacks, for Latinos, 
and and basically for all Americans, there were good economic times. There's a, a, a basically a column and commentary that says that uh, people miss 2019. They don't miss necessarily the president of the United States who was ruling at that time, but they miss that year. And part of that period of time uh, during the Trump administration was what it was because of Speaker Paul Ryan. He was speaking at the University of Wisconsin campus uh, for the Robert M. La Follette School of Public Affairs, named after the uh, famous Republican originally, but then later an independent progressive, uh, Robert La Follette, who uh, talked about our states as um, uh, laboratories of democracy. And here he warned his party about uh, what could happen if things go wrong in uh, the election coming up of 2024. Now, I'm hoping we get past Donald Trump by, say, January. <laughs> you know, after Iowa and New Hampshire, maybe South Carolina. Um, if you're a betting person, if you go to the Vegas odds, I'm sure they're saying he's probably get the nomination. I still think there's a reasonable chance he doesn't get the nomination. I mean, there's two reasons I don't think Trump should be should be the nominee or president. One is a practical, one's a principled reason. The practical reason is we lose with this guy. I mean, he won he won in 2016, then we lost the House in 18 because of him. We lost 20, the presidency. We lost the Senate. Then we lost the Senate again in 2022. We lost 10 to 15 seats in 2022 in the House because of him. Do you think those suburban voters like Donald Trump more since January 6th? I mean, good grief. They didn't vote for him this last time. They're not going to vote for him again. So I try to make more of a practical argument to would-be Trump supporters that we lose with the guy, pick somebody else. Um, look, I'm, I'm an old-school guy. I guess I'm old-fashioned. I think leaders should endeavor to be honest, ethical, moral people who try to set standards for themselves and lead by example to the rest of the country. Donald Trump doesn't try to do any of that. He does the opposite of it, frankly. So... I just don't think he's fit for the job. Okay, and uh, then he talks about the the need for a fresh face, a very different face uh, for the election, and and about the shutdown and its impact. Uh, listen, Paul Ryan, and they they know we can't even pass a bill. The Republicans can't pass a bill, even proposing an alternative. So it's nihilism, is what it is, and. It's really unfortunate to see, and I think there's it's just a small handful of members, a handful, and they, I think they, they think they win by losing. Uh, I think they, win, they think they win under any scenario. Do they? Do, um, they? do they win when they lose? No, we look like fools. Uh, does uh, he write about the, uh, the shutdown? Uh, and, and again, he was talking before the shutdown was a virtual sh uh, certainty earlier in this week. Um, but it is, it is problematic when you look at it and you consider uh, what it is that is going to be gained here, if anything, 
there is a um, a piece uh, by Carl Rove that I was sharing with you about the Chaos Caucus. And uh, Carl Rove writes that the Chaos Caucus's leader, Florida's reckless and feckless Representative Matt Gates, is practically giddy at the prospect of a shutdown. Though he voted for the Pentagon funding bill to protect his Armed Services Committee seat, he is heading the opposition to a bipartisan continuing resolution. Failure to enact such a stopgap measure this week would mean a shutdown, which Mr. Gates predicts in six or eight days will produce maximum momentum on paradigm-changing pressure on Democrats to make deep spending cuts. What blather! Democrats know that when federal offices are shuttered, services curtailed, and our military goes without pay, voters generally blame Republicans. And this time, they're right to do so. Knowing this, Democrats will insist on significant concessions to reopen the government. The shutdown uh, could go on far longer than its advocates predict. And each additional day will provoke more public anger at the GOP. The damage will likely go well beyond the shutdown. There are 18 GOP representatives in districts President Biden carried in 2020. It was because they were more popular in their districts than Donald Trump, who lost in the districts, but they won. And those members will be endangered by these shenanigans. Republicans won the five closest races that flipped control of the House by a combined 7,169 votes out of uh, 1,379,000 cast in those districts. It doesn't take many stupid stunts to lose that many votes, 7,169. The Chaos Caucus is willing to risk the GOP's narrow majority because they believe... As Virginia Representative Bob Good puts it, that most Americans wouldn't even miss it if the government is shut down temporarily. As Mike Myers, uh, in, as Dr. Evil says, right. On the Michael Medved show, uh, one of the uh, aspects of the debate that uh, was uh, striking, it seemed to me, was the fact that none of the candidates uh, spoke out clearly and forcefully, none of them, against this shutdown uh, kamikaze mission that is being directed by just a handful of people in the House of Representatives. Uh, I do believe that Mike Pence has shown increasingly in this campaign uh, the desire, at least, to talk against self-destructive tendencies by the Republican Party that he means to lead. And uh, he has been a member of Congress. He was a leader in Congress, particularly on economic affairs. He has a new a sweeping plan to revive our nation's economy, which we will get to. Let me welcome back to the show uh, an old friend, a good friend, uh, a great public servant, uh, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, Mike, have you um, uh, 
as recovered from the euphoria of that debate, uh, and, and I guarantee you I won't talk over you here. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on the Michael Medved Show again. We are, we are old friends. You know, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, along with millions of people around the country. And, uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a very sporty night at the Reagan Library, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I sought to really frame this election in the Republican primary as a as a choice between whether we're going to continue on that time-honored conservative agenda that Ronald Reagan brought to the fore or, and our, our administration governed on for four years or whether we're going to follow the siren song of populism away from American leadership in the world, fiscal responsibility and values. But uh, uh, it was a privilege to be there, particularly to be at the Reagan Library. And uh, But it's, uh, it's great to close the week out with Michael Medved. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, I, I certainly a- appreciate your participation here. Uh, I, I was just saying to the audience, just as you were coming on, the, the most disappointing thing to me about the debate was that nobody spoke out clearly against this shutdown. Uh, am I correct in, in uh, guessing that you do not believe the shutdown will benefit the Republican Party or the Republic? Well, Michael, I, I really believe that um, we have to put our fiscal house in order in Washington, D.C., but people deserve to know, uh, as, uh, as Speaker Kevin McCarthy is laboring to fund the government, that um, we're really only talking uh, right now about 10 percent of the federal budget, that we live in a time where, where we have a national debt the size of our nation's economy for the first time since World War II. Seventy uh, percent of the federal budget is driven by entitlements that that my old running mate, uh, Joe Biden, uh, others on this stage, I mean, no one wants to talk about common sense reforms to Social Security and Medicare. It's one of the reasons why part of my plan to, to defeat inflation begins with engaging the American public about tackling the real drivers of our debt crisis. So I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I appreciate the efforts of Speaker McCarthy and others uh, to trim the sails on the, on the margins in Washington, D.C. But if I'm president of the United States, I promise you, day one, I'm going to go to the American people and, and tell them what's really going on and the mountain range of debt uh, that our our children and grandchildren are going to face if we don't have leadership and have a Congress that that will commit to making the kind of long term reforms that will restore fiscal fiscal integrity to the national government. Well, what people say, of course, is that uh, the only way to uh, close the debt is either by raising taxes or spending less. Uh, which would you favor, or both? Well, the, the way that you deal with it, in my judgment, is twofold. Number one is you get the economy growing again um, by making sure that, that the, the Trump-Pence tax cuts that we passed in 2017 are made permanent. In fact, I'd like to see us lower the corporate tax rate to 15 percent. We got it down to 21 from 35, but, I, but that only got us in the middle range of, of corporate taxes in the Western world. I, I want to bring jobs back to America, and part of that includes creating a tax structure that will invite investment. So number one is you make those tax cuts permanent. You look for more tax reform. 
But on the spending side, it's like like I said, the, the, all that the media will be focused on in the next 24, 48 hours, prospect of a shutdown. We're only we're literally talking about 10 percent of the federal budget that they're even debating. Um, I think we go to the American people and we say, look, um, for people who are in retirement, we're not going to touch Social Security. For people that are going to retire in the next 25 years, we're not going to touch Social Security. If you're 40 or older, we're not going to touch it. But if you're under the age of 40, here's my answer to your question. Let's take that New Deal program, Michael, and make it a better deal by saying to younger Americans, in exchange for changes in the program, you know, retirement age, the nature of benefits, you know, uh, who's eligible, means testing, you let younger Americans take a portion of their payroll tax and put it in a personal savings account uh, that is uh, that that basically is a you know one of several mutual funds of American companies, uh, and and if it just does two percent over the lifetime of an individual American, that'll give people twice as much as we as we give them in Social Security today. So that's why I say uh, this New Deal Social Security program could be turned into a better deal even while we do reforms and and establish fiscal integrity back to the program and the national government. In terms of a better deal, uh, you you were on the uh, same ticket with uh, Donald Trump. He right now is the prohibitive uh, leader in terms of the presidential nomination. What's the essential point that is going to allow... Um, Mike Pence to compete with his old running mate? Well, I I hope it is a a recognition that um, different times call for different leaders, that uh, this is no time uh, for on-the-job training. We don't need a president who's too young, uh, but but we also don't need a president who's too old. Look, under Joe Biden, We've seen our nation weakened at home and abroad. The economy is struggling. We have a crisis at our border. Um, uh, in, inflation has is, is gone through the roof, 17 percent in the last two and a half years. War is raging in Eastern Europe. Um, I think we need a president who is day one ready. And you were you were kind enough to talk about the fact most people know me as vice president, but I was a governor of a state that balanced budgets and achieved record employment expanded educational choice. I was a leader. That's when I first met you. I was a leader for 12 years in the United States House of Representatives uh, and and literally led the charge against the Wall Street bailout, uh, led the charge against uh, uh, big spending Republicans in my own party. We actually we took a stand that that I mentioned in the debate the other night that resulted in one hundred billion dollars in savings in federal spending. I, I know how to do this. I hope as people look at the challenges facing the country, uh, they look at our experience. Uh, they'll recognize that uh, that what that 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 we're we're the right leader at the right time, uh, not just to lead our party to victory, but to lead America back on a foundation of common sense, conservative principles. And that's the last thing. You know, I tried to make this point. There was a good article in the Wall Street Journal this week about a speech I gave a few weeks ago. People deserve to know if you like the record of the Trump-Pence administration, a a record of a strong defense and uh, standing strong on the world stage, a record of tax cuts. uh, One one of the ways that people can find out more about your campaign, go to MikePence2024.com. 
or you can go to michaelmedved.com where we're going to post information about Mike Pence's campaign. I can only wish you Godspeed and having a great weekend and then back to it. We will be right back to it here on the Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. few minutes more with Vice President uh, Mike Pence uh, wishing him and uh, everybody out there an absolutely wonderful weekend, uh, a Sabbath or Lord's Day, whichever day you celebrate it, and uh, should let people know that this is the beginning of uh, the Jewish holiday of uh, Sukkot, uh, which is often translated as Tabernacles. And uh, it's a wonderful time of year. It is referred to as the time of our rejoicing uh, because we're rejoicing in the blessings that uh, we have um, and and basically thanking the source of those blessings, uh, which is not the government, it's God. Uh, but uh, Mike Pence, you certainly have been somebody who has been very strong on that on that. Uh, point of view. And I also want to say that we covered a speech you gave in New Hampshire where you talked about uh, the difference between traditional conservatism, the Reaganite conservatism that attracted me for the first time and made me a conservative uh, versus the uh, what you call the siren song of populism. Uh, would you agree with me that the problem with populism is that it encourages people always to blame somebody else, some other mystical and sometimes conspiratorial group of people for their problems rather than the self-reliance that is essential in the conservative creed? Well, I, I do. Th I do think that's at the very core of it. Uh, that, uh, as Senator Jack Danforth, former senator, wrote uh, in a very thoughtful piece this week, um, almost as eloquently as you just described it. But, <laughs> but look, it's also just about policy, Michael. I mean, look, I like you. I actually, I became a Republican in the days of Ronald Reagan because when I heard Ronald Reagan talking about having a strong defense, America's the leader of the free world, less government, less taxes, traditional moral values. I knew my home was in the Republican Party. And frankly, those values have, have defined the Republican movement all the way through the Trump-Pence years. I mean, when Donald Trump ran for office, uh, even though he had a very diverse political past, which, which just, you know, it's not a criticism. He had supported Republicans and Democrats before that. He promised to govern as a conservative. And I'm proud to say that we did govern as conservatives. We cut taxes. Uh, we rebuilt our military. We... We stood with our allies, uh, stood up to our enemies, and uh, appointed three conservatives to the Supreme Court who gave America a new beginning for the right to life. But I think what, what voters deserve to know, and what I said in that speech in New Hampshire, is Donald Trump makes no such promise today, where we were committed to leadership on the world stage. Uh, Donald Trump and others in the Republican primary are embracing the language of appeasement, uh, you know, questioning whether we should... Uh, uh, give the war fighters in Ukraine uh, in support of all our allies the effort to push back that un unprovoked Russian invasion. Um, on, on taxes, we cut taxes. Donald Trump is advocating a 10 percent tax 
on all imports into the United States of America that the Tax Foundation says it costs 500,000 jobs. And on the right to life, um, it, it's remarkable to hear the, the, you know, the former president who led the most pro-life administration in history, um, you know, blaming election losses on overturning Roe versus Wade uh, and describing a, a, a bill that would protect unborn children at the moment of a heartbeat as a, quote, terrible mistake. I want people to know that um, I'm the most, uh, uh, you know, qualified, the most tested and the most consistent conservative in this race. And and if I'm president of the United States, we're going to lead our country back on the solid foundation poured by Reagan uh, and and ultimately the foundation that we governed on for four years, because it's it's not just the best way to win an election, Michael, it's a it's the best way to win a, a future of prosperity and security for the American people. Brian, one of the things that um, President Trump uh, just released today was a new social media message attacking Nikki Haley, <laughs> one of one of your rivals for the Republican nomination, uh, calling her a bird brain and um, and and other suggestions. Uh, do you think? that it's possible to win the nomination and then win the election with a, um, how do I put it, more constructive, uh, less demeaning tone toward any opposition? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that, and I don't know if it was in that post or another one, but he's got a new nickname for me as well. And look, I, look the president what is has it? his own style. <laughs> well, you could, I'll let you look it up, but it's, what what I'm telling you is I think the American people long for us to restore a threshold of civility in public life. You know, when I think of my heroes in public life from Ronald Reagan forward, it was their optimism. It was their ideals. And, and it was uh, that they that they lived out that ancient adage to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. You know, I, I always tell people, Michael, you get 15 miles out of Washington, D.C., the people of this country actually get along pretty well. Right. Our politics are more divided than ever before, but the American people know how to disagree without being disagreeable. If I'm president of the United States, we'll not only get America back on the right track for growth, prosperity and security, but uh, uh, we're going to we're going to establish uh, that threshold of civility that is, I think, is absolutely essential for us to take on the intractable problems that the country is facing at home and abroad. Are you um, uh surprised that uh, there's a new poll that just came out that uh, um, shows that uh, the American people value uh, people of faith and uh, they consider mm. you to be a person of faith. They consider Mitt Romney to be a person of faith. But uh, the deepest faith that uh, they perceive is for President Trump. Uh, to which you would say, I mean, again, you have tried in many of your best speeches. I, I think about your speech at the Israeli parliament at the Knesset, which was mm, just a wonderful you, speech on behalf of the United States of America. Uh, in terms of rallying people who want a religious revival, what are the essentials that a Mike Pence administration could do while honoring the, uh, the separation of church and state? 
Well, Michael, you know, people who know me well and you know me well know that I'm, I'm a Christian, a conservative and a Republican in that order. I always I always have tried to be uh, very open, uh, albeit gently, about uh, the importance of my faith uh, in my life, the importance of my ideals. And uh, and I think I think most Americans <laughs> share that whatever their whatever their religious uh, perspective, most Americans begin with faith, and then it's family, and then it's uh, career and life and politics is way down the list. So first off, I just try and, and, and continue to carry ourselves the way that we always have. But look, I, I, I'm very proud of the fact that our administration was a champion, not just of life, but of religious liberty. I mean, we, we made extraordinary progress on protecting the religious freedom of, of every American, of every faith. And uh, uh, and so, you know, for me to, to be recognized for that, my personal faith and our administration um, is a great encouragement to me. And I think at a time when we see, uh, you know, uh, when, when we see the woke left seeming to express greater and greater intolerance for people of, uh, of Judeo-Christian values and views now more than ever, we need, we need a leader in the White House who understands those values, who cherishes them, and will, will defend uh, the freedom of religion of every American, the freedom of conscience to believe or not to believe. Uh, and, uh, and I'll do that if I'm president. Uh, Mike Pence, I appreciate your giving us this extra time. Uh, MikePence2024.com is the place you can go directly to support his campaign or to find out more information about it and about his program on the economy, on education, on crime, on border security, and on more. Uh, meanwhile, on the Medved Show, coming up on uh, Monday, we'll talk more about that poll where people have different perceptions about what faith means in politics and among politicians. We'll also uh, deal with uh, Rich Lowry, who uh, says there's no contradiction between populism and conservatism. I disagree passionately with that. We will air that disagreement Monday. I should also say that for the two movies we are going to review today, uh, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, the latest from cult director Wes Anderson with Benedict Cumberbatch, Ray Fiennes, Dev Patel, and Ben Kingsley. Three stars, two stars for the re-education of Molly Singer, which is a booze-soaked comedy that uh, leaves you with something of a hangover. May you have no hangovers and only have positive blessings in this greatest nation on God's green earth.